team at My Mortgage are all about making it easy to buy your first home. So we've put together some conversations where Claire and Greg talk about the process and share some of our top tips to help you on your journey. Kia ora team, welcome along to the My Mortgage podcast. It's Greg and Claire here talking about all things first home buying. So today we want to cover off the process from the day you go unconditional, which is the day you can pop some champagne and say, hey, yeah, I'm totally buying a house, to the day that you settle. That's the day you get the keys and probably drink a bit more champagne. So let's have a bit of a chat about that because unconditional day, we've paid our deposit, we've met all of our conditions, we've checked the properties as we expect. What happens next? There's a few things to go through um, at this point. So probably the first part is to figure out how we want to structure your loan. So we'll come back to that in a little bit, what that means, that sort of stuff. That's where we get your interest rates, we'll get your cash contribution. Again, we'll talk about that in a minute. And we go through and figure out how we want to structure the loan. At that point as well, we'll probably have some tax forms, a bit of boring kind of compliancy stuff in terms of how you want to use your bank accounts and all those sorts of things. And then we will get all of that documentation off to the bank and then they will generate your home loan documents. Sometimes before that happens, you need to go into a branch. So actually go into a old school bank and sit down with someone and have a bit of a conversation about how you want to use your accounts. And maybe you want a credit card or, you know, what FPOS accounts and savings accounts and all that sort of stuff. Uh, So the bank will give you a call and chat through that. Sometimes they'll do that over the phone or online as well, which is kind of helpful. And then the loan documents will be sent to your solicitor. So by loan documents, it's quite a lot of information. And it's basically the bank saying, hey, we're going to give you this money. But as a part of that, you're going to have to pay it back. And if you don't pay it back, this is what's going to happen. And your solicitor will talk you through all of that. It's all really standard stuff. You'll go and sign that with your solicitor, maybe in person, maybe online, those sorts of things. They'll get them back to the bank. And then they'll also, on the day of settlement, so the day you're going to take over and everything's going to happen, the money will come to them. They will pay all that to the vendor solicitor. And also they will register a mortgage over your property. So it's actually the bank taking security and saying, hey, if you don't pay your mortgage, we're going to sell your house. Mm. And then you get the keys, can move in. Drink the champagne, as Claire mentioned. So that's kind of a high-level kind of overview of that process. Very, very helpful. I love that. Okay, so I'm going to talk about something that I'm super passionate about, which is loan structure. Gosh, aren't I cool? So I'm a big believer that getting the right loan structure is immensely important. And we've been peddling this for years because I think a lot of banks, because they can't give advice most of the time, whereas whereas mortgage advisors can give advice, sometimes those loan products aren't quite right. So let's talk a little bit about different types of loans, Greg. So essentially we we have a table loan, principal and interest loan, where you pay heaps of interest at the start and less interest at the end. But the idea is that your payment stays the same across the time of your loan. Obviously, in that time, you may have some interest rate changes. So we can talk a little bit about that later. The second type of loan that we have, and this is traditionally an investor type product, but it's called interest only. You only pay interest in order to borrow that money. So your principal balance, the amount that you've actually borrowed never really goes down. Well, it doesn't go down unless you pay it off, but you pay interest to borrow that money from the bank. There are a couple of other products that banks also do that we refer to collectively as floating products. And essentially they are generally either table, so principal and interest, or interest only. 
but they have a floating interest rate. So that means that that rate can go up or down at any time and you don't have any control over that. So the benefit to having a floating product like that is that you can actually pay off almost as much as you want anytime. So this suits a person who might have bonus income, they might earn a base salary plus X amount per month, and so they might want to pay off bigger lump sums. Or it also can suit business people as well who might have larger cash flow at different times of the month. So it can be a time where we look at splitting loans across different products. Within the floating loan product is also what we call a revolving credit. So this is something people ask us about all the time. Mm. (laughs) And it is essentially, if you think about a big overdraft, you may have had an overdraft at uni when you were, um, you know, you were looking to have some good times. Revolving credit essentially has a limit. So you can borrow, let's say, down to $10,000. So you can take out $10,000, but you can also put that money back in, but have it available to you to use. So again, this is really good if you're saving for renovations or a big holiday or a wedding perhaps or something like that where you know you're going to need that money back but you want to actually reduce your interest cost over the time that you have that money. So yeah, so that's a a bit of a high level explanation around the different types of loans and what kind of might fit. But let's have a talk about interest rates. Mm -hmm. So these have now increased a wee bit over the last wee while. So how important are interest rates? So, I mean, as Claire was saying, at My Mortgage, we think the structure is way more important than the interest rates. Obviously, interest rates are important. Um, You know, we all want to be on the lowest interest rates we can be, but sometimes actually the lowest interest rate isn't right for you for a variety of reasons. So say, for example, the generally the way we see it, the lowest interest rate is normally the 12-month fixed rate, and the highest interest rate is generally the floating interest rate as a rule. Sometimes that's not the case. But for you, for example, if you're maybe, let's say, you're about to have a family and one of you is going to stop working for 12 months. Cool. And so your income is going to change and you just want security for the next two years. You know that every week, fortnight, month, you're going to be paying X amount. Even though the 12-month rate is the lowest, maybe you need the two-year rate. For some people, it's like, hey, we're going to go overseas for four years. And so we actually want to lock it in for four years at that four-year rate. And we know that's higher and that's okay. We can afford that. But what we don't want is for the rates to keep going up and then that to become an issue. And so maybe the four-year rate is right. Potentially for some people, as Claire mentioned, their income is you know a bit lumpy due to commissions or dividends, those sorts of things. And actually having it on the floating rate is the best. Now, yes, that's going to cost you more in the short term, maybe because of the interest rate being higher, but long term, that's better for you. And the other thing often is people are like, hey, I'm going to fix for five years. And then we say, well, what's the plans on going? Oh, I'm going to sell the property in a year and a half. Okay, well, that's not a great idea. Even though that five-year rate might be good for a variety of reasons, you may then have break fees when it comes for you to sell your property. So the actual interest rate sometimes is a little bit irrelevant and the structure of it and maybe how long we're fixing for, but also how we break that home loan up if that's the way we uh, you decide we want to do it might be more important. Yeah. And we're really big on asking people what their goals are, what they're planning to do for the next sort of one, two, three, five years. And sometimes people don't know, and that's absolutely fine. But to take myself as an example of, uh, should I be sharing this poor decision making? Yeah, I think I will. (laughs) It's all in in the aims of teaching. Bought my first home in 2014, and we were offered a rate of 5.5% to fix for five years. It was such a good rate at the time. And we were like, hell yeah, this is so good. And our plan was in five years' time to buy a lifestyle property or to build. 
That plane ended up happening in two years, and we ended up selling at the end of 2016, so pretty much bang on two years since we bought the property. We paid five and a half grand in break fees, and it really sucked. So yes, it is a case of changing our minds, but also we probably didn't consider with enough detail the fact that we might actually meet that goal in a shorter period of time, because actually when we took that five and a half percent rate, I think the one and twos were actually early fives. So we probably could have paid a very similar amount and got a better result. So really key to just have a bit of a think about those long-term plans. And I suppose the other thing is often we hear people go, hey, my brother and his partner, they had a $50,000 revolving credit and they were doing A, B and C. They used it to do this. And so we want to do that as well. That's totally fine. And getting advice from friends and family can sometimes be really useful. However, everyone's individual situation is different. So for some people, and especially around revolving credits and things like that, if your financial personality isn't to be a really, really good saver, potentially a revolving credit is not right for you. And again, now that we're sharing personal information, Claire, uh, for my wife and I, when we uh, were first home buyers, we probably weren't the right people to have a revolving credit. And we didn't, thank goodness, but it just wasn't, isn't in our personality type to, if all this money's sitting here, for us not to go and spend it. So just because someone else has done it and just because it looks like the right thing for them doesn't mean it's the right thing for you. And a classic example of this is we hear lots of people go, hey, I'm going to split my home loan into thirds and I'm going to fix a third of it for one year, a third of it for two years, and a third of it for three years. Because what it does technically is split the risk across it. So if interest rates are going up, not all of your loan is coming off at the same time. So the jump isn't as big. The downside being when interest rates come down, you lose the option of jumping onto a lower interest rate. And also at any time, if you're wanting to sell or move banks, or whatever, you have a portion or probably two parts of your loan that are fixed, and you're going to have to pay break fees on that potentially. So Sometimes, although there is some logic to that strategy, there is actually some downsides to it. So it's not the perfect strategy like sometimes people are told. Mm, It's a bit of gambling in my opinion. I've always thought that. I think though, keeping it simple is really key. If you have the ability to manage five different loan accounts and be really comfortable with that, that's fine. Few people in today's sort of society, I suppose, being quite busy, have the ability to manage that really actively. So I like to keep things quite simple. Yep, splitting loans, that's great if it fits for your situation, but often keeping it really simple and just making it easy to manage is really key as well. Totally. And that comes back to those financial personalities. Like, you know, are you someone who loves to get into the nitty gritty of the details and look at all the different loans and when they're coming off and making sure you're getting the best interest rate? Or are you someone who's just like, hey, I just want to pay it every week, see it coming down over time and and go from there? Hey, what about um, cash contributions or cash backs at the bank's paying solicitor's fees is sometimes how people talk about it? Let's have a quick chat about that. Claire, give us your rundown. I'll give you the background on cash backs. So back in the day, like after the GFC, And in those few years following, um, banks started to kind of buy business by saying, oh, we'll give you a holiday to Rarotonga and- A TV. A TV, we'll pay your solicitor's fees. And then I think it just got too admin heavy, to be honest. Mm. So what we've kind of wound up with now is a bit of a stabilisation of what they call cashback. So cashback is essentially money that they will put into your bank account on settlement date and you can do whatever you want with it. Most people use that money to pay their lawyer or other 
requirement professionals, professionals that, have, yep. that that may have been used evaluation a builder's report etc maybe pay back mum and dad for the money that you borrowed to pay for the valuation or the builder's <laughs> Classic. report that's totally a thing and then others will buy furniture or bits and pieces. So you can do whatever you want with that cashback. And the history of cashbacks is essentially around incentivizing. Things to be really careful of cashbacks. So cashback versus rate, usually, if your rate is lower, but the cashback's lower, sorry, but the cashback's higher, if you're comparing two banks, it's better to take the lower rate. Always do the numbers on that. Secondly, pretty much every bank now will have what they call a cash contribution clawback period. Essentially, that means if you sell or you refinance, so go to a different bank, within the period that they designate, it's now pretty standard three years, sometimes four or five, so just watch out for that in the letter, that you'll have to pay a portion of that cash back. So I've had a client recently, they bought three years ago, they are three months from the end of their cash contribution period and they are having to pay back half of their cash. So usually they do a bit of a pro rata situation on that, but yeah, it's just really good to understand that. But overall, yay, we love free money. Yeah, and sometimes we go, why don't the banks just make their interest rates slightly cheaper because that would be better, but hey, we'll take free cash if we can get it. In terms of like how much that cash is, it can vary massively. Right now, uh, what are we, October 2022, lots of the banks are doing 1% cash back. So if you borrowed five hundred thousand dollars you're going to get five grand cash often it'll be around 0.6 or 0.7 percent of your home loan if you've got under like a smaller deposit so over 80 percent lending they might only give you 0.4 or 0.5 potentially they might have hey we'll give you three thousand dollars they'll do a set amount they might run a campaign that way one thing to note if they are and we haven't seen this for a while but there was a bank recently who was giving a holiday to fiji it was worth two and a half thousand dollars we always say take the cash and if you want to go to Fiji, go to Fiji and you can go to wherever you want in Fiji rather than the one resort that this bank has got um, things at or if it's a TV or something. Now, as I said, they haven't done that for a little while, but if they are offering you things, sometimes it's better to take the cash. And some of the smaller banks have actually started offering things like if you move your KiwiSaver to them, they'll add $1,000 into your KiwiSaver. If you get your insurance with them, they'll pay $1,000 of the insurance and a cashback as well. And it all adds up to quite a decent chunk of money. So uh, especially for first home buyers, they're doing those sorts of things. So definitely keep an eye out for that. We negotiate all that for you or your, your mortgage advisor will and we'll make sure they're getting you the best options there. So should we just round this all off, Greg, to basically cover off that before settlement and in line with Greg's process from before, we will recommend a loan structure, we'll recommend a lender, and then we'll get that process sorted with the bank and with your solicitor to get it all ready for settlement, which is super exciting. The best part, in fact. Yes. So thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Greg, for all your knowledge. Thanks, Claire. And we will look forward to seeing you again next time. Wherever you're at, you can get in touch with our friendly, easygoing team and get some advice tailored just for you. At My Mortgage, we never say no, only here's the plan. And we're happy to take the time to take you through the process and make it easy. My Mortgage, making home loans more fun and less boring since 2012.